Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Love for God and obedience to his commandments are inextricably linked. Love and obedience go hand in hand. They are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. Our Lord says, if a man love me, he will keep my words. On the other hand, St. Paul says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Listen to the words of the Apostle John. The one who refers to himself in his gospel, not by his name, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who rested his head upon the breast of our Lord at the Last Supper. The one who in his writings cannot go more than a few sentences without speaking of the love of God. It would be no misnomer to call the Apostle John the Apostle of love. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. And love and obedience, we have to understand this, are not opposed to one another. Attention to the latter does not quench the former, for love is at the heart of obedience. The greatest commandment is what? You hear it every single week, right at the beginning of the Mass. The greatest commandment is to love. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And that is the fuel, as it were, to a life of faithful obedience. You see, we don't grow in holiness. We don't succeed in obedience by trying really hard to keep the particular commandments, but rather by keeping the great commandment. By encountering, knowing, fellowshipping with the crucified and risen Jesus in whom the nature, character, and love of God are most clearly seen. Christianity is not adherence to a list of rules, but loving union with the triune God. But 
loving God includes necessarily obeying his commandments. Again, listen to the Apostle John. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. We're going to come back to that last line at the end of the sermon, so keep it in mind. Obedience and love go hand in hand. Love for God is demonstrated, is manifested in obedience to his commands, and obedience to his commands increases love for God. There's this reciprocity between love and obedience. As we love God, we obey his commandments. And as we obey his commandments and walk in his ways, we increase in love for God. Our Lord says, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. This is the result. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The result of loving, obeying, and following Jesus is deeper union and fellowship with the triune God. Again, love and obedience are inextricably linked. And this was the case under the Old Covenant and now under the New Covenant. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere, is fulfilling not abrogating the Old Testament in general or the Ten Commandments in particular. For he says, you have heard that it was said of old to indicate that the law had come to be erroneously interpreted, not that the law itself was fraught with error. The psalmist sings, the law of the Lord is perfect. Jesus would no doubt agree. Jesus, through his person and work, is announcing that the reality to which the law had pointed is here. It has arrived. That with God, promises made are promises kept. And yes, it's called the new covenant for a reason. Jesus, in fulfilling the old, brought about a new covenant, a new reality, a new creation. But as he makes clear on the road to Emmaus, the law, the prophets, the Psalms are about him. In other words, this was always where the story was going. He was not saying, either through his words or actions, that, yeah, everything that happened before me, law, Moses, all that was bad. Here's a new religion. Or, to not worry about, quote, religion at all. To put a finer point on it, Jesus did not do away with the religious and spiritual principles of obedience, duty, and obligation. One of the first heresies in the church, I told this probably to you probably more times than you care to hear about it, uh, was called Marcionism. 
which rejected the so-called Old Testament and the God thereof. In that system, there's little or no continuity between Yahweh and Jesus, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Marcion found quite quickly that he couldn't retain much, much of the New Testament. Got rid of Matthew, Mark, John. For some reason, he liked Luke, but had to get rid of part of that. Because as you read the New Testament, what do you find line after line? The Old Testament. The Old Testament revealed fully and fulfilled. Why am I talking about this? Why am I taking you to Church History 101? Because there persists in our day a neo-Marcionism that the Old Testament is all about adherence to the letter of the law, while the New Testament is about adherence to the spirit of the law. It's works versus grace, action versus intent, externals versus internals, keeping the rules versus relationship with the rule giver, obedience versus love. But such a view, it has held up, but should not hold up, given even a cursory reading of Holy Scripture. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. At the beginning of the Mass, when the summary of the law is given, what law is being summarized? The law of Moses always been about loving God. That is the greatest commandment which Christ fulfills. In Deuteronomy 30, which we just heard, Moses says to those who are in God's covenant family, they're already in. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, evil, in that I command you today, what does he say? You shouldn't be surprised. To love the Lord your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. Love and obedience inextricably linked. And what is the result? Moses continues. So that you as Israelites will never have any fun. He says, so that you may live. He says later, I think in a way reminiscent of Colossians 3, that God is their life. God's goal, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's goal has always been union with mankind. It's why we were created. He has always called us to the entire person, body, soul, and spirit, to transformation. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament is Israel rebuked 
for her external, half-hearted, or just plain heartless, adherence to the law apart from true obedience, apart from fundamental transformation, apart from love. You guys don't love me. You're not following me. Let's just shut the whole sacrificial system down until you guys get it straight. How many times does God say stuff like that? Isaiah 29, 13, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And that cuts both ways, both to the person who would obey externally the commandments of God, tick the moral boxes, yet be cut off with, from any sort of loving union with God himself. And it applies to the person who, oh yeah, I, I love God, that has pleasant feelings, you know, towards the divine, if you will, but isn't interested in walking in his ways or doesn't think that it's important. Bishop N.T. Wright calls this false dichotomy a clever parody of the Sermon on the Mount. He writes this, Today, with romanticism and existentialism as our hidden teachers, we, quote, naturally think that as long as we are acting from the heart, what we do outwardly doesn't matter so much. His heart's in the right place is usually said as an excuse. We apply this selectively, of course. Nobody excuses murder on the grounds that it was sincerely meant, but it goes unnoticed elsewhere. That's pretty funny that the antithesis between outward and inward obedience is never meant in either testament as a way of abolishing the commandments themselves. It is a way of saying that the truly mature, integrated follower of Jesus will be someone for whom it is no longer a moral effort to keep the commandments. They will do so because they deeply want to. Now, as promised, we are coming back to the first epistle of the Apostle John, who writes, His commandments are not burdensome. Moses said unto Israel, Keep his, that is God's commandments, that you may live. The commandments of God are good, and they are for our good. The commandments of God are good, and they are for our good. They enable, they do not restrict human flourishing. We sung just moments ago the antiphon. Blessed are those that are undefiled in the way and walk in the law of the Lord. Those who walk in the ways of the Lord are blessed. They're happy. God gives as the primary reward the happiness that can only come from his presence. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is good, that his commandments are good, and the ends which following his commandments bring are good? 
or did we, real talk, just moments ago, merely honor the Lord with our lips? Do we think we know better than God when it comes to what is true and what is good and what is beautiful? Do we think that we know more about life and how life ought to be lived than life himself? A Colombian aphorist wrote this, wisdom comes down to not showing God how things ought to be done. But as we grow in love for God, what will happen is that we will grow in love for God's commandments and we will follow them because we love and trust and want to please in will and deed, as the colic says, the one who gives them. And yes, we have to follow the commandments of God. I don't know how many times I've been told that I, I don't have to do anything now that I'm a Christian. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? We do have duties as Christians. And th this is one of them. To, to celebrate the Holy Eucharist. Do this in remembrance of me. Reason 998 that we're doing right one because it retains this sense of duty. The priest sings in the proper preface. It is very neat and right and our bounden duty. But as we grow in Christ, as we grow in love for God, our bounden duty, whatever it may be, becomes our desire. Giving God what is his by right, giving God his due, becomes our delight. Loving God and keeping his commandments are inextricably linked. You cannot have one without the other. They are not opposed to one another. They are not mutually exclusive. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. And we are commanded, we have to remember this, first and foremost, to what? To love. And when we keep the first commandment, when we cultivate together relationship with the triune God in the Holy Eucharist, in the office, in the personal devotion, in the life of the church, we will find that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we will not only desire but be able to keep the particular commandments of our Lord, the result of which will be love for the commandments themselves and more importantly, deeper loving union with the Lord who issues them. So brothers and sisters, let us, by loving the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping his word, walking in his ways, be by the power of the Holy Spirit truly perfected in the love of God. Amen.